Welcome to the GEMS Report brought to you by Clearing Events Fire and Rescue Group and the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. I'm Ted Lee. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of GEMS and along with Jeff Frankel, the Managing Editor of GEMS, um, we'll be bringing you hot topics and news through interviews with contributors for the magazine um, and uh, facing hot topics um, for the future of EMS. Today's special guest is Chief Bruce Evans, um, a contributor to GEMS um, historically, and we want to welcome you and thank you for your time today. Well, thanks, Ted, for having me, and uh, thanks uh, to GEMS for having me. At, uh, it's been uh, a very lengthy history of my relationship with GEMS all the way back to when uh, Jim Page founded the magazine uh, out of Salona Beach. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a, a large audience that remembers Mr. Page and, and kind of the, the foundation. I remember growing up in my EMS career with GEMS magazines everywhere. Um, but in uh, the new age and all the up and comers uh, that are just being introduced to GEMS, um, this is kind of new for them. So um, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a history of yourself, your background, um, where you're coming from and you know what you've done in your EMS career? Right. Uh, so. I'm, uh, I like to say this is a part of the family business. So uh, my folks were in EMS. Um, my stepfather was uh, Air National Guard medic and founded our service in, uh, in Iowa, West Des Moines EMS, um, which, you know, I'm uh, proud to say that that, that is a, an A-game organization now. Uh, my mom was an EMT intermediate. I've run calls with my mom. <laughs> and so I started out, um, went to college at Iowa State, uh, did my EMT training in Mary Greeley, did my paramedic training in Mary Greeley, uh, flew with Life Flight Des Moines for um, a couple years. Um, and then uh, when I became a paramedic, um, somehow I wandered out to Las Vegas where I worked for Mercy Ambulance for several years. I became the recruiter there. Um, it was not uh, hard to sell people to come to Las Vegas to be uh, paramedics. and get to run emergent up and down the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, exciting. And then I, I wound up uh, being recruited out to the Henderson Fire Department. They were starting their paramedic program out there and spent about 17 years out there, worked my way up as a firefighter paramedic, uh, was a EMS captain for a few years, and then a, a fire station captain, an engine company captain. And then um, Jumped over to North Las Vegas to be the EMS chief and then finished out my career in Nevada um, as the um, deputy chief or assistant chief at uh, North Las Vegas Fire. Um, thought I was going to retire and come and fish and chase trains up here in southwest Colorado. And when I got up here, uh, I wound up uh, falling into a fire chief position here at the Upper Pine River Fire Protection District. It's a little slice of heaven. Uh, Got the Weminuch Wilderness on the north end of the district, a section of uh, US 160. Um, just an absolutely stunning and uh, beautiful terrain to be providing EMS in. Um, a little different going from uh, urban EMS to uh, super rural EMS, but um, I love it. And uh, been part of the National Association of EMTs for, uh, actually I was joking with somebody this morning that um, been at NEMT for 18 years um and had done other things you know been part of the national ems management association iff and uh, the international association of fire chief cms section so i like to say that i've walked a mile in just about everybody's shoes including the educators and um, always uh, felt it was part of my duty to write for gems and uh, make sure that uh, you know we're contributing to the profession 
Outstanding. Thank you for that that history lesson. And yes, you've been, you've been around for sure. <laughs> so um, you have a, a new article that was just published in GEMS uh, about a week ago, and it's uh, part one of a three-part series um, on um, a broad topic of leadership. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, the the articles that, the, that you have and um, kind of where they're coming from and, and what you're hoping to accomplish with them. Yeah, so it's a three-part series, and uh, it's on leadership, but the focus is mentoring. And um, and I, I just have to get, get go back to the Wayback Machine real quick. And, um, you know, so I was very fortunate to be mentored by Jim Page. And I would tell you that uh, there were numerous conversations with Jim uh, that many of us had, uh, Keith Griffiths, uh, uh, Gary Ludwig, John Sinclair, uh, Doug, Wer uh, Doug Wolfberg, Steve Wirth, um, around, um, and Baxter Larman, around uh, Jim's vision of a national EMS mentoring program. And some people may not know that, um, you know, when Jim was uh, at one of the agencies he was at, um, there were people that were jealous of him because of his role as, a, um, as an advisor to a television series. And what he, what he started to rationalize with is that as he looked around and saw that there was not a lot of leaders in EMS coming up the ranks, like I would tell you today, if you were to ask uh, a group of EMT students or a group of paramedic students who the national leaders are in this country for EMS, say name 10 of them, um, they would struggle. They might get three, yeah. but I doubt they would get 10. Um, so knowing that there was a vacuum there, Jim had articulated this vision of this national mentoring program that would pair up really experienced uh, EMS leaders with leaders that wanted to be leaders. And maybe Jim was very attuned to the issue of a lot of these folks that were in their organizations um, were not uh, were not you know, their frontline supervisors um, weren't in a position to mentor them uh, either because. They feared that this person would take their job or they may not have liked them or they just felt that, you know, you're here to answer ambulance calls. You're not here to be trained as a leader. Now, um, and unfortunately, Jim passed away before he was able to, you know, to see that vision come to realization. And there were many of us, uh, myself, Baxter Larman, Steve Wirth, uh, that um, routinely when we would get together in an EMS conference at EMS Today and. Uh, we talk about, you know, okay, we're going to move forward on Jim's vision. And um, and then we'd leave the meeting and nothing would happen. And yeah. um, this went on for over a decade. And, you know, finally I said to myself that this is a reason to run for the NEMT presidency is to put the horsepower of NEMT behind uh, Jim's vision. Um, surprisingly, Jim did our first uh, keynote at when NEMT was formed and we had our first national convention. And if you go to the UCLA uh, special collections section where Jim's writings are archived, um, you will find that speech there, handwritten. Um, and I would tell you that uh, it was a heavy lift and um, I convened a committee of people that I thought were national EMS leaders that were doers, people like Baxter and Steve and David Edgar and McCara Trustee and uh, and they got it done. They created this 18 month program. Um, we graduated our first group of EMS mentors uh, uh, this this fall. Um, and the feedback that came from those people was phenomenal. 
And, you know, just when you kind of wondering what the next generation is going to bring us and, you know, whether they're as committed to doing um, what, what the greatest generation's done or the baby boomers have done, you get surprised. And, and I was quite surprised at not only the level of enthusiasm of the mentees, but how much it recharged the batteries of the mentors. Right. Uh, so this is a real synergistic program. And, but mentoring is not to be taken lightly. I think there's a lot of folks that try to think that they might be mentors. This is a formal program that really outlines things that we're trying to do for people. Um, you know, like, for example, make them set goals and, um, and for that mentor to open some doors for them in a networking fashion. And then the series of articles talks kind of about three stages of the mentoring. And, and again, uh, you know, we, we pick up at a, a, you know, in the numbering of these articles kind of, you know, not one, two, three, it's not mentoring one, two, three, because mentoring is not, a, you know, first step, second step, third step, right. it's, uh, you know, fourth, fifth, six, seven, eight steps, you know, it's for people that are established. And we talk about um, in this series of articles about how to establish yourself and what the mentoring relationship should be. And then there's even a, a piece of this series that talks about, are you ready to be a mentor? You know, um, there's a lot of people that want to get the t-shirt, right. but they're not really mentors. They don't have the yeah. time. They're not ready for it. They won't make the commitment because this really is about a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it, it really is, uh, and that relationship, like all relationships, has to be worked on. You can't take it for granted and you can't just assume that it's going to be there. Um, it requires communication. It requires real dialogue. And, um, and, you know, it requires a genuine interest by the mentor uh, in the mentee. And, and we talk about that in this series of articles about, again, you know, what, um, you know, what's mentoring all about? What are the components of it? You know, what's a good men mentee? What, what's a good mentor? What are the things that are required um, to jump on that? And, uh, and I think in the future, you know, uh, you, you always say that, uh, you know, uh, people that are, uh, you know, imitating you is the highest form of flattery. Um, and it's interesting to see many other organizations now want to do mentoring. Right. Um, and, and then I would also tell you, I think that the, there's a group of people out there that are hungry for this. Um, as we had more applicants uh, for our mentoring program than we had mentors um, that we felt comfortable putting them with. And we didn't want anybody to have a bad experience or, you know, people to be left behind or people to, you know, walk out of the program saying, oh, well, I had a mentor, but I really didn't do anything with it. So, you know, NEMT has done a lot of um, analysis on the workforce, as many organizations have, um, looking at, you know, this apparent, uh, you know, shortage of paramedics and EMTs in the field. And I would tell you that um, what we found is kind of two things. One is uh, they've switched it around now and calling it uh, life-work balance. It's not work-life balance anymore, right? Right. Uh, and then what we also found is that uh, people want to feel that when they come to work, that it's meaningful and that they're doing something that um, makes a difference. And because they have a lot of other things that they have access to now um, that they could go be doing. They could go, you know, read poetry somewhere. They could uh, be playing golf. They could be riding motocross. Um, and, you know, so if you're going to occupy their time, 
um, they want to make sure that they feel that there's something uh, that it's meaningful, that um, that it's making a difference. And a lot of the, you know, when they get into these mentoring programs, they want the mentor to be able to make a difference for them if they're going to commit the time, because it is a huge time commitment. Um, and it and it has to be scheduled and regular. And we talk about that in the article in the series and um, about, you know, making time, you know, that, you know, you turn off your phone and you, uh, you know, you, you do away with any kind of distractions that may pull you away from, you know, an hour's worth of, you know, in-depth or intense conversation with between a mentor and a mentee. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's very interesting. You mentioned that, you know, people are looking for and, you know, maybe came into the profession and they weren't prepared for, you know, what they were walking into or are not prepared to be the, the next generation to step into leadership roles or mentoring roles. I mean, it's the same thing with, I mean, my background's education, the same thing for educators as well. People think, you know, they have a they have an understanding and be like, oh, well, this is what an educator is, or this is what a leader is, or this is what a mentor is. And then not really fully flesh out and understand kind of what it takes to be in those roles and what kind of impacts that they have for uh, the individuals that they come in contact with as an educator or leader or a mentor or even a mentee. Because um, I would imagine, um, you know, in, through my career, it's just as frustrating if somebody's mentoring you that they're not really mentoring you um, to be a mentor and have a mentee not really engaging or not really you know acting like they even want to be there or or want to hear anything um, that, that you're trying to help them with so it is very much a balancing act um, on both parts right and it you know and this is kind of uh, for people that are a little more advanced in their career want to be more advanced in their career this, this is not Mentoring is not about preceptorship or right. uh, mentoring is not about orientation of a new employee. You know, this is uh, trying to help people reach a more lofty professional goal. And there are a lot of agencies that get precepting or field training, uh, you know, crossed with mentoring. And uh, it's not to say your field training officer can't be your mentor in the future, but um, they're evaluating for the clinical competency of your medicine and your ability to to maintain in a in an EMS system. Um, so a whole different uh, approach to these things. And, and and sometimes, you know, your preceptor has to be the one to say, sorry, you didn't make it, um, you know, as compared to a mentor is more of a, you know, more of almost a family relationship, you know, where, uh, you know, it's gonna be some tough love, but um, there's, you know, you're not going to be abandoned or you're not going to be, you know, failed. Um, and, and that, that's a whole different ball of wax. So, yeah. you know, I think the other thing that's really important about this incoming generation and, and, and as I, uh, you know, look to, you know, informally mentor some of my employees here, and I, I do have an employee that's in the, um, that's in the, the second group of mentees, uh, for the James O'Page Lighthouse Leadership Program. Um, which is, you know, NAMT's mentoring program. And, um, you know, there's there's lots of other opportunities to have. You, you mentioned education. Um, so we're sponsoring um, eight of our folks through the NEMC uh, Instructor Level 1 course. And there's a lot of folks here that are like, oh, well, why do we have to take this national course and this national test? And I'm like, you know, it's part of your professional development. It's going to open some doors for you, maybe. You go to the NEMC conference in Pittsburgh this year and uh, you make some, you find out how to teach better. 
Um, so we're opening some doors for people that way. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's the first step is to push people to challenge their their barriers. Um, you know, yes, most of my folks all have Fire Instructor One, which in the state of Colorado allows them to do EMT training. But um, let's take you to the next level uh, with Instructor One course um, from NEMSNA or from NEMSI. And, uh, you know, those those are ways, you know, trying to push people out of their comfort zone and you know, it's interesting. I've been going on doing this now for about 40 years and, you know, nobody ever really comes back to you and says, uh, wow, I, I really like the way you ran that second alarm fire or that MCI. But I will tell you that people are grateful for when you helped them uh, get to their professional goals more so um, than the day to day operations that you do. If you take an interest in somebody and you open a door for them. And I can't tell you how many people I've kicked in the pants to go to medical school that were paramedics that um, there's one guy who's an interventional radiologist in Las Vegas now who was on the department with me at Henderson Fire. And I would tell that guy every day I saw him, I said, the cure for cancer is in your head. You have to go to medical school. You're wasting your time here as a paramedic and right. uh, an exceptional interventional radiologist. Um, I'm doing great things. Um, and again, you know, doesn't forget where his roots are because he still provides, you know, continuing education stuff or, you know, case reviews for for the paramedics on stuff that he uh, winds up fixing, you know, putting coils in people's heads and, you know, removing, uh, you know, blood clots with, you know, with a basket. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and really for the the mentor mentee relationship, you know, a lot of these kids are coming in and, you know, their goal to to make it through EMT class or to become a firefighter or make it through paramedic class. Um, a lot of times that is their goal, you know, their short term goal, but they don't have anything past that. They don't know what it what it means to to turn, you know, emergency medical services into a career and where that can career can take you. Um, sometimes they're they only experience, you know, what a family member experienced or what their local community has um, and had no idea that, you know, there was a, a wide range of things that um, were open to them if they were willing to step through that door. You know, that's uh, that's a great point, Ted, is that, you know, one of the things that Baxter Larman did with his mentee, um, you know, really pushed him to apply to speak at a national conference. And, uh, and and he got accepted to speak at a national conference. And he didn't think that was really in his wheelhouse, that he wasn't capable of doing that. Uh, but Baxter mentored him to the point where his submission was very successful. Um, I think it kind of goes the same way. I, I've got um, what I would consider just an exceptional star paramedic student. And she um, she's gifted because she can just talk to anybody. But... The other day, um, and, and I, I, she's got it written up. I just need to proofread it and send it off to you for publication. Of course. And it was a case where a guy had tripped coming out of um, a bleacher at a basketball gymnasium, watching his granddaughter play basketball. And um, he fell and struck his head on the basketball court floor. Uh, when we got there, fortunately, there were some Forest Service people that had attended to him. He hadn't moved. A little bit of a lack on the back of his head, but he said his neck hurt. Um, so we went ahead and uh, put him in. We use a vacuum mattress here instead of backboard. Log rolled him and very gently into vacuum mattress mobilized him. Um, that We run a two-tiered system here where it's a chase vehicle. 
um, supporting EMT trucks. And uh, I would happen to be the paramedic that day covering for somebody that wanted to ski for the day. And uh, so uh, I was getting ready to leave him with this guy. And uh, the EMT said, uh, well, let me run an EKG on him, make sure he's not in atrial fib or there wasn't an arrhythmia that caused him to fall. So I waited and everything cleared. And they said, yeah, we're good with taking him in. I uh, get a call from the trauma coordinator a little bit later. He had an odontoid fracture, an unstable, you know, C2 fracture. Um, had we hit a bump on the way in or had we done like probably a lot of other paramedics that normalized deviance and set him up and said, you know, how do you feel? Uh, right. We paralyzed him uh, and yeah. killed him. Uh, but uh, the crew did exactly like they were supposed to. They assessed him. They properly immobilized him. Uh, we didn't move him. And uh, he had to be flown from here in Durango up to Colorado Springs where he got um, special surgery to pin that odontoid. And uh, I called him about a month later. He was at Costco shopping. So perfect. Great outcome. Yeah. And, you know, how many of us have seen a living odontoid fracture? You know, not right. many. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty rare situation. And uh, I went back to the crew and I told him, I said, you don't realize, you know, how, um, you know, I know that it just seemed like you were doing basic C-spine, but uh, this really made a huge difference in this guy's outcome. He would have been paralyzed. And I said, you really need to write it up. And, and again, this girl who's going through paramedic school, I think is going to be a, a shining star in the future. Um, I said, look, write this up and let's submit it into GEMS. And uh, you write it up. And I said, I'll proofread it and I'll give it to the editor and uh, they can help you with the, with everything. So I think, you know, mentoring doesn't need to go just beyond or, you know, just be in the realm of, you know, getting somebody doors open, getting them in leadership positions. But part of that leadership position um, like we we said early on in the introduction of this is uh, submitting, you know, submitting stuff into the journals. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great stories out there about what people are doing and some great outcomes. Um, and that stuff needs to be put into GEMS and uh, and submitted to, you know, um, uh, you and um, and Jeff. And and I think uh, that's just part of mentoring. It, you should. You know, every EMT or paramedic, you know, in once in their career, they should submit something, uh, you know, a case study or an article um, into the trade magazines. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, our generation, it was always something that you tried to elevate to, you know, if you were able to do that, it was a huge deal. And and we really looked at that as as quite the accomplishment. Um, nowadays, things are a little bit different. You know, they have their own, you know, TikTok channels or YouTube channels and, you know, they're self-publishing. And, and that's great because, you know, that opens up opportunities for them. But uh to have something in a in a trade journal um, where your peers are looking at it and and you're recognized, you know, as kind of elevating to that next level, like you mentioned, speaking at our national conferences, you know, those are are really you know kind of, you know, the feather in the cap of I'm starting to make a difference. It it's not that what they do out in the field every day is not amazing work, um, but it is that next level. Um, it is that next step forward. You know, to turn. For some, what is a job into, okay, this is my career. This is, you know, how I'm defining, you know, what I do for a living, so. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, I, I look on my wall here in my office and I see a couple of GEMS articles that I had framed, um, you know, and, you know, one writing becomes like infectious, you know, you want yep. to, once you write a couple articles, you'll do that, but uh, you'll write more. And, you know, the other thing about submitting an article into GEMS versus self-publishing um, or, you know, put it on your YouTube or your Facebook page. 
You know, part of the uh, role, we talk about this in the series, is to establish a network. And, you know, your mentor should help you kind of establish that professional network. And by certainly submitting an article in uh, where, where you or, or Jeff can take a look at it, and you start to know these people, um, then you become part of their network. So, uh, so, you know, when EMS today rolls around and they need somebody to speak on spinal injuries, um, then our gals got an article, you remember it got published in, you know, you drop our line and say, hey, can you come and speak at uh, EMS today on this case and talk about spinal trauma in general? Um, you know, so, so not only is publishing just important for your professional development, but it's absolutely critical on your, your networking ability. And, you know, I've known, you know, Jim's editors over, you know, over 40 years, as I said, and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, from AJ to Jim to Keith and uh, Jeff Barron and, you know, all the people that came before you. And, and I'm still really good friends with most of those folks. Uh, you know, like I said, I just spent the, the holidays with Keith, uh, Keith Griffiths from the Red Flash group now. And, um, you know, those are lifelong friendships that get developed that, um, you know, if I needed something or, you know, I need an opinion on something or I needed a door open here or a door open there. Um, these are all people that are part of your network that come from, you know, essentially the magazine. Yeah. So um, just last question kind of that I have that I'd be interested in on your take. And, you know, you mentioned that um, everybody's looking at, you know, recruitment and retention and, you know, the the potential shortages that we have, um, especially in rural America, um, you know, trying to find paramedics and, and keep uh, ambulances staffed. Um, how do you think um, mentoring impacts that or, or or what's the future look like you know now that you have the james page lighthouse leadership program and you're actively trying to develop the mentoring kind of philosophy and 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 groundwork for this so um so i'm a super rural agency i cover 282 square miles um, with 14,000 people in it um, with eight people a day and uh, so I have a full-time staff of about 32 people here. And uh, I would tell you, I'm not having trouble with people. Matter of fact, um, in, you know, as I said, I've been at it long enough and, you know, I have retirement from the state of Nevada and I don't really need to be here. Right. Um, you know, I joke with some of my staff that, you know, one bad day and I'm going to be on the beach with an umbrella drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, going and having Baxter finally teach me how to surf. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that it goes back to that issue. Um, when you see that people leave an organization or if you're having trouble recruiting people and retaining them, um, a lot of it goes back to the management. And, and I would tell you the reason, so I have some real superstars here and, um, and, and frankly, I'm still here because of them. Um, and, you know, I, they're hungry um, and you, it, it's a challenge to feed them. And they're, they're a bunch of tigers. They have to have a steak every day. And, you know, that, that requires not only me mentoring them. So, for example, you know, doing uh, the National Fire Academy's ICS for EMS class here for our captains. Um, and me doing that myself as the, one of the authors of that curriculum. And same thing with putting our people into the Lighthouse Leadership Program or, um, you know, sending some of our captains off to the accreditation conference and, 
and then pushing some of our firefighter EMTs to, um, you know, to be teaching the EMT classes that we offer. And, and I would tell you that I have more people wanting to go to paramedic school than I can afford to send them. Um, and so it's a challenge to re retain them because somebody else would be happy to send them to paramedic school. Um, but, you know, we do a pretty robust, um, you know, employee development stuff here. And I would tell you that I'm probably, one, even though I'm super rural and we have a very limited budget, we provide tuition reimbursement. And that that's a big deal. Um, you know, none of the other agencies in the region provide tuition reimbursement. So I have people going to school for nursing. I have people that are looking at PA school and trying to get their bachelor's degree in paramedicine and um, looking to be community paramedics. And so we're we're very fortunate too that we're the recipient of our third um, Sirenac grant or SAMHSA grant, uh, $200,000 to do EMG training for a year and provide equipment for all that. So, and then we got a workforce development grant from the state of Colorado. So we're, as an agency here, we've been offering, uh, we'll be offering free EMT training we have for the last year and uh, for three more years. Um, so La Plata County is about 60,000 people. We have two sections of EMT class that just started last week. We got 28 students. So, That's great. And, and we're competing with the community college here. So, which right. has to do. So when they said there are bodies in, you know, they're not, you know, people to put in seats of an ambulance, um, you know, but I would tell you that we're doing a little bit more than, you know, point and click, uh, you know, PowerPoint, you know, there's no death by PowerPoint here. You know, they have to, they have to get out one of our reserve ambulances. And we were lucky we have five or six uh, people in the community, including a couple of businesses that entertain our students in real life scenarios. We can't afford a, you know, gazillion dollar sim lab. Uh, so we have people that volunteer their houses or volunteer their businesses. Uh, there's one uh, place in our fire district called the Billy Goat, uh, which is a bar that has a famous uh, Bloody Mary mix. So if you go to the Billy Goat website, you'll find it. And uh, they entertain us over there for a bar fight. And oh, very nice. Uh, so, so the students actually respond over there and they find an epidural hematoma that was hit in the head with a pool cue that is initially conscious and then goes unconscious. And it's a small enough bar that there's the usual suspects in there. And they're free to harass the EMS crew like they would in a regular bar fight. So, um, but the students kind of get a chance to go in there and figure out how to get the gurney around corners and assess a patient when it's loud and noisy. And it's that kind of high, you know, it's a, it's a form of high fidelity simulation. Um, but they appreciate that. And, you know, the word gets out that we're doing fun stuff over here or, uh, you're not just sitting watching a PowerPoint for four hours until your your behind hurts. So right. Well, that sounds really exciting. So um, we're looking forward to your next two articles um, to come out. Um, they'll be spaced out, you know, every couple of weeks or so um, through our production schedule. Um, but we very much appreciate it, your willingness to do this. Uh, the mentoring and the, the Jim Page Lighthouse Leadership Program is an exciting thing. Um, I, I, I am looking forward to um, reading your articles and, and seeing the direction that's going, because I really think it's important for the profession uh, to get these type of messages out. So I really appreciate your time. Well, Ted, thanks for having me. And thanks to Gems for kind of entertaining this three-part series and uh, you know, hopefully we get some great feedback on it. And the last thing I would say is that NEMT has the applications open right now to be a mentor. 
Um, so if you feel you've got something to offer the younger generation, you're willing to make a commitment, um, you know, we'd love to consider your application. That'd be great. Yeah, actually, I've, I've been mentoring throughout my career in, in education. And people say, oh, well, that's my teacher. Um, I've had more than a few go, no, he wasn't a teacher. He was a mentor because um, they've gone on to med school or nurse practitioner school. I mean, I've got a couple of people that have gone on to be directors of programs, director of services um, in the flight realm as well. So it's quite a humbling thing when you look back and you see, you know, somebody that, that you helped along their career path and, you know, they did it. You know, they were the ones that did all the hard work. Um, but to, to play a small role, it, it's quite humbling um, to see them succeed like that. It is. It's a great feeling. And uh... You know, it's it's noble work, as we would say. Yeah, noble work. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to your uh, newest articles, and um, I will invite you back uh, anytime you want for you know more podcasts or webinars with Gems. Um, and once again, thank you. All right, thanks, Deb.